Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 155, and we're going to talk about outfitting your van for less. Not the fixtures, the fittings, pots, pans, blankets, that kind of thing. You don't have to spend a lot of money. We're also going to talk about emergency brakes and why they matter, a tale from the road involving school buses, and a place to visit that's hard to define, and yet you can still get there. Hello everyone, welcome back. Hey, we have to start off this week with a little bit of a correction. I misspoke last week, I said something that I knew was wrong, I said it anyway because that's how brains work sometimes. I said that LPG, liquefied petroleum gas, is basically a liquefied natural gas. And and actually, that's not true. And, And while it doesn't matter that much, it actually does. Because burning what we called propane in stoves and ovens requires a different size jet than stoves and ovens that use natural gas. Because they are actually different gases. They're designed to be very good at being transported, whereas natural gas is mostly methane that is designed to be sent through pipes. And they're different chemicals, and therefore they burn differently, and therefore your appliances are different. So, Big thing to know there is if you're buying appliances that are going to burn gas in your van, make sure they are propane or can be converted to propane, else they're not going to work. You can't just go take that stove out of your kitchen that runs on natural gas and put it in your van and use it. You're going to get weird, possibly dangerous things happening. So very important point of distinction, and I want to thank Don for pointing that out to me because that was not a smart thing that I said. Also, I'd like to call your attention to a bonus episode that came out Saturday where I interviewed Frankie and Alex of FNA Van Life. And I have to tell you, that episode is now, or was, these things are transient, the number two podcast episode in the travel category in Iceland. So they have a lot of fans in Iceland. (laughs) So there you go. I think it's a pretty good episode, especially for folks who are curious about traveling with pets or traveling in Central America or traveling with a significant other. We talked about lots of stuff and you can find that in the feed or at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. But this week, I wanted to talk about a little experience I had that really made me think. And I was at REI, which everybody knows, and I recently saw REI referred to as like a discount, inexpensive camping supplier. And I have never thought of them that way. I've thought of them as like, this is where you can get the really expensive stuff. But apparently there's more expensive stuff. But when I went to REI in Chicago, I was looking through their camping stuff and I noticed they had a coffee mug. It was just a metal coffee mug. I I have a similar one and, you know, it was very nice. And, well, it said $95 on it on sale. And I thought, there must be a decimal missing here somewhere. Surely that can't be more than $9.50. But but no, <laughs> it was a $95 coffee mug made out of titanium. And honestly, folks, I can't imagine a use case for this thing. I mean, yeah, if you're going to hike the Appalachian Trail or Appalachian Trail and every ounce matters, maybe, you know, even then I really can't imagine that saving half an ounce of weight is going to be worth 60 or $70 more than some of the other titanium mugs. I, I can't imagine it. Or you could just use aluminum, which weighs even less. But hey, whatever. There's clearly a market for a $95 coffee mug out there. I'm not it. And, and you don't have to be it either. 
we spend a lot of time talking about cabinets and beds and stoves, but what about like the stuff that goes in the cabinets or on the beds or on the stoves? It turns out you do not have to spend a lot of money on this stuff. Now, in my vans, I use Stanley Cook Gear because it's what I like. Now, Stanley also made that $95 mug, but they have much cheaper stainless steel stuff. And I'll have links to the stuff I use in the show notes, but I, I basically have two things. I have a Stanley Cook Kit that is a pot with some bowls and utensils and everything that all fit in one nice, tight little unit. I really like that. And I also have a tall, thin mug slash cooker that I use for making coffee sometimes. It, it Inside, it has two plastic mugs. They're very durable. And I just like these things. They're durable, easy to clean, and not terribly expensive. But even they are too expensive. This is an area where you can save a lot of money in your van life and give up nothing. You're not giving up anything by following the suggestions I'm about to give you. And of course, these are my opinion. You can say, well, that's stupid and that's okay. So pots and pans. As I said, I really like the Stanley stuff. But when I bought the Tiki Bago, which is a 1972 Winnebago that I drove across the country and is now permanently parked on a river in Illinois... It was empty, of course. I mean, that actually isn't always the case. Sometimes you buy a van and the previous owner has left all their stuff in there. But this Winnebago was pretty much empty. It had some things, but it didn't have any cookware. And I was going to drive it for 10 days. So I thought, well, I need to cook on something. So, well, I went to Walmart. And Walmart had complete sets of pans, like a pot and a couple of frying pans and everything, for well under $20. In fact, I think I got the set I have for $12. Brand new. There were aluminum pans, non-stick, with glass lids. And yeah, as you might expect, they're crap. <laughs> they are not good pans. But are they good enough for cooking on the little stove in the Winnebago? Absolutely. In fact, we've been using them, well, since we got the thing a year ago. All summer long, we cooked all kinds of meals in those pots and pans. And they've been fine. So for 12 bucks, you can have brand new pots and pans that are going to do you in most circumstances. So you might ask, well, why didn't you just go to the thrift store? Because I've noticed something weird about thrift stores. Pots and pans are super expensive at thrift stores. I don't know why. And the stuff is really beat. Like if you went to get a frying pan at a thrift store, it would cost about as much as new and it would be really beat up. So... Folks, my advice is go to Walmart or some similar store and buy an inexpensive set of pots and pans. And it's going to last you a couple years or so. And when it doesn't, get rid of it and you spend another 12 bucks. I mean, geez, it's kind of a no-brainer to me. Now, what about dishes? Well, I have a philosophy about dishes. I, I learned this at Boy Scout camp. I think you really only need one set of dishes per person. At home, we tend to have, you know, 18 different plates and we, you know, we'll use all 18 plates and put them in the dishwasher or whatever. But when you're in your van, I think a better policy is to have one set of dishes that you wash every single time they're used. I personally do that. I think that works best. But you don't have to go crazy on what you have for dishes. This is a place where thrift stores work really well because they have all these one-off dishes and things that don't match you know there's like oh we've got two mugs like this and we have one plate and they don't match anything people generally don't want to buy that but they're perfect for you and i 
Don't think you need to buy plastic plates or anything camping related. It's perfectly fine to buy a ceramic plate that's very comfortable to eat off of for like 50 cents. And if it breaks, okay, big deal. You go to a thrift store and get another one. There's no reason to spend a lot of money on that because you can have really comfortable to use stuff for very little money. This is especially true for mugs because mugs are something that's given out as a promotional item all the time. And most of those either end up in the trash with plants growing in them or at the thrift store. And you can go find some really bizarre ones like, you know, American Dental Conference Award 1987 mug or whatever. <laughs> I mean, you can have fun with it. And again, don't be afraid to get stuff that is breakable because it's easily replaceable. The same is true for silverware. When I first started doing this, I bought these all-in-one fork knife spork things that are plastic and this one thing does it all. And again, if I was hiking the Appalachian Trail, I might see the real value in this. But in practice, in my van, I find that they are a little sharp. They tend to cut the corners of my mouth because there's a knife on the fork. I mean, that's how they're built. And they just aren't all that great. And I just realized this is kind of stupid. I mean, some of these things cost as much as 20 bucks. And for a dollar, you can get a complete set of actual metal silverware or cutlery, if you prefer, at the thrift shop. And why not do that? It's much more comfortable to use, and no, it won't match anything, but who cares? I mean, really, if, if, if you have enough money that you care that your silverware matches, this podcast episode probably isn't for you. And another thing that I think works well is uh, the Frisbee method. A Frisbee is a super useful thing when camping because it's a game. It's also a bowl. It's also a plate. It's a cutting board. It's all these things. You can buy Frisbees at the thrift store, too. They're fairly inexpensive. But one thing they're great at, if you get a normal size Frisbee, is you can put a paper plate on them. And that paper plate can hold your food, and then you just burn or throw away the paper plate when you're done, and you still have the Frisbee. I think that is also a good way to do the plate thing, especially if you're in like a minivan or you have a smaller space, or you're spending a lot of time eating outside. So that's a thing to consider, too. Now let's talk about sinks. A lot of famous YouTubers don't have sinks in their vans. They just use a bowl, and then they dispose of the water, however. Like, if you notice, Foresty Forest, who lives in a van... Mead doesn't have a sink. Uh, Wonder Hussy doesn't have a sink. There's a lot of folks who just didn't do any plumbing. And I respect that, and if that's how you want to go, that's fine. But if you want to do a very inexpensive sink, remember that the primary purpose of a sink isn't to provide water, it's to be a drain. And thanks again, Liz, for pointing that out to me, because that was quite the revelation. All you really need is a hole and somewhere to store the liquids. And you don't have to spend a lot of money on that. You can literally use a big funnel and a bottle and boom, you've got a sink. And when you're done, you can throw the bottle out or you can empty it or however. You don't have to spend a lot of money on that. The use, the, the practical purpose of a sink is served simply by having a way to dump water into a container. And you might think, well, maybe why, why do I even need this? Well, imagine that you're boiling some spaghetti and you need to dump the water out. It's not always convenient or even legal to just open the door and dump it on the ground, but you can always dump it into a funnel in your van and then have it's stored in a container, which can just be a recycled laundry jug or whatever. And heck, if it's winter, you've just created a hot water bottle that you can put at the bottom of your bed too. So 
you can just make a way to dispose of liquid without building an entire sink, and that's a good thing. And as for actually the water part of a sink, which I consider now separate, a bottle works just fine. In fact, all winter long, that's what I do. I'm just pouring out of a bottle for all my water needs. Now, bedding is similar. I recommend everyone get a decent sleeping bag if you're going to do any kind of winter camping, but if you're not, anything is fine. There are sleeping bags at Walmart for 10 bucks, and they're completely fine. It's all you need. You don't have to spend $300 on the negative 50 mummy bag unless you're going to camp outside at negative 50. As far as blankets and all that's concerned, you probably already have that stuff. There's a lot of inexpensive blankets around, and you know, in my opinion, it's better to buy a few cheap blankets than to buy one expensive one. Because as you layer cheap blankets, you're trapping air between each layer and you actually get more insulation that way. So you don't have to spend a lot of money on that. Big caveat here though, you do have to spend enough money so that you're comfortable. There are some very inexpensive sheets out there that you can buy, and some of them are made out of polyester. And they are horribly uncomfortable, and I cannot sleep in them, and they won't work for me. So there's always this balance here. If you want to spend enough money to reach optimal value, and for me, polyester sheets aren't there. Another tip is that for storage, instead of getting storage containers that are hard, consider bags. Tote bags I have so many tote bags because everybody wants to give you a tote bag. Oh, you gave a dollar to NPR? Here's a tote bag. Oh, you went to this conference? Here's a tote bag. But I've got probably a hundred of them. That's the big joke about, you know, bring your canvas bags to the supermarket is you end up with so many canvas bags that it ends up costing more energy and environmental damage than just using the plastic ones to begin with. And I'm definitely in that situation. I actually don't have a solution, so what I will probably do with all these canvas bags is take them to the thrift store. But I have started using a lot of them to store things in the van, and it's really helpful. It, you don't have to spend any money. They work great in all kinds of weather, whereas some of the cheaper plastic containers tend to break in the winter. And they're portable. You can carry them around. They're, it's, it's actually a really good thing to do. All right, just another couple tips here. You always want to have a shovel with you. It doesn't have to be an expensive shovel. You can just actually go buy a short spade with a handle, and that's going to be the best shovel you can have. They're actually cheaper than the collapsible folding ones, but they'll do everything that those do better. So consider that. Also, curtains. If you need curtains, don't buy curtains. Buy cheap blankets, because cheap blankets are almost always opaque and they will provide some insulation too. And it'll save you money. Curtains turn out to be expensive, which is bizarre. And one last thing, paper towels are kind of expensive. Cheap napkins are not. And you can do just about everything with a cheap napkin that you can do with a paper towel. And you don't have to hang up a paper towel roll. So while they do make paper towels that are in boxes that you can pull out, and I've used those and they're fine, I, my new thing is just to buy the cheapest possible napkins I can find and stick them in a cabinet and then I can pull them out and use them as needed as napkins or paper towels. It works great. So consider that you don't have to spend a lot of money on the stuff you put inside your van. And the nice thing is, is that if some of this doesn't work, well, you can replace it with something better and you haven't spent a lot of money on it. Tech Talk. Let's talk about emergency brakes. Now, every vehicle is required by law at least when it's built, and depending on certain states, to have two braking systems. So you have the pedal under the steering wheel, you step on that, and hydraulic pressure applies brakes, whether they be disc brakes or drum brakes or whatever, 
doesn't matter. And, and in Priuses, you're actually engaging a motor that charges the batteries when you step on the brakes. None of that matters because there's another braking system that's always the same, and that is cables. And those cables are attached to the emergency brake, also known as the e-brake, also known as the parking brake. You might think, well, why is it called a parking brake? And that's because in manual transmission cars, you don't have a park mode. There's no park on them. And you can actually have the car roll away if you don't apply the brake, depending on how you park. So that's why they're also called parking brake. But the point here is make sure it works and get in the habit of using it. My 72 Winnebago does not have an emergency brake, and that terrifies me. It's one of the reasons I don't want to drive it anymore. Your hydraulic brakes in your vehicle consist of basically fluid at high pressure flowing through hoses or pipes, and they can fail. A rock can fly up and hit one of those and spray out all your hydraulic fluid, and then you've got no brakes. Now, a lot of cars are set up that if you lose hydraulic pressure, you'll still get some braking by stepping on the pedal. But the emergency brake is there just exactly for that purpose. And it's a cable. When you pull up on the lever or press on the pedal, as some vehicles have a pedal like pickup trucks often do that do, you're pulling on cables that will apply the brakes. What happens is over time, if people don't use these, they tend to rust and get frozen and not work. And I'm asking you to take that seriously. The best practice with emergency brakes is to use them every time you park. That will keep them moving, it keeps them loose, and it will also let you know that they're actually still functional. Because these things can save your life. Not only can they prevent your vehicle from rolling away when it's parked, but if you lose your brakes, you can still stop by pulling up on the handbrake. And if you hold the button down, you can actually modulate the braking. You don't have to just lock your wheels. You can pull it up enough to start to slow down until you can pull over safety. So my admonition of this week is please make sure your emergency brake works. And if it doesn't, get it fixed. They are very important. And boy, I would not want to be in a vehicle traveling at high speed and not have my emergency brake work. That could be very, very scary. Tales from the road. So way back in the middle 80s, I was a school bus driver. And um, I did drive high school students around for a short time, which was, as you might imagine, hell. But I did it much longer as a summer camp bus driver. So up in New Hampshire they have a summer camp program for Cub Scouts and they are week-long programs, but the kids don't stay overnight. They're, they're picked up at different stops. And, and I was one of those drivers and I was issued a very large yellow school bus, just like you've seen and uh, drove it around. And, and, and honestly, this was maybe my first camper van because, uh, we used to set up tents, so we would stay at a campground where we run the camp and set up tents and, you know, camp the whole week and then take the buses out and pick up the kids. And then one time we were setting up camp and it was pouring rain and I thought, why don't we just sleep in the buses? <laughs> so that's what we did. We found a way to disconnect the seats so they could slide together and make beds. And, you know, the buses hold 72 people, so there was plenty of space in there to sleep. So actually, that's what I did most of the time was I slept in the bus. And, well, here I am today. But this particular summer in one community, the kids just were very excited, not so much about camp, but about what was happening. These kids had won a contest, basically, a very large national contest, and they were excited for what was about to happen. And 
they were from Bow, New Hampshire. They were all excited to tell me this story, and the story was that their teacher had been selected to ride on the space shuttle. And this was like the coolest thing ever. I mean, this was the middle 80s. The space shuttle was huge. It was this big, high-tech, high-prestige thing. And, you know, I, I finished out summer camp with these kids thinking, boy, how lucky they are. And they're going to be able to communicate with this person who went to space and all this. And uh, and she was supposed to go on the Space Shuttle Challenger, which was the first space shuttle and really the first spacecraft the U.S. had lost on a mission. And I always think of that. I, I left those kids with this brightness in their eyes about this exciting thing that they were going to take part in. And, and then I flash back to hearing the news uh, while I was going to school in West Virginia the following January. And, uh, you know, wow, I can't imagine what those kids' memories are like now. Product review. So I learned on the bonus episode on Saturday from Frankie and Alex that Alex and Frankie had written a book about van life. Now, there are lots of books about van life out there. I've read a bunch of them. And what I find is they either tend to be a little too philosophical or they tend to be a little too technical. And like, this is the battery you must buy. Click here for my Amazon affiliate link, blah, blah, blah. So there aren't any that I find that I recommend a lot. But the name of the book is Daydream to Dream Life. Quit your 9-to-5 job to live in a van down by the river. And I got the Kindle version. And if you are a subscriber to Kindle Unlimited, it is free. Or you can buy it for six ninety nine. And there's also a paperback version for twelve ninety nine. I got the digital version because that's what I think makes the most sense for the lifestyle I lead. And this book doesn't go into great depth in any direction, but it really does an excellent job of giving you an overview and what to expect. And I think that's actually more valuable sometimes. It gives you the knowledge to know what questions to ask so you can get answers. And it, it tells their origin story and basically a lot of the stuff we talked about in the podcast, but also goes into more depth about what it was like to actually make this big change, to leave these jobs that were making them plenty of money and this life they had built to go out and experience the uncertainty of being on the road. I like the book. I recommend it. I think you should get it if you're somebody who's just starting out in van life and wants to know what's involved in all this. I don't say that about too many books. So it's called Daydream to Dream Life, Quit Your 9 to 5 Job to Live in a Van Down by the River by Alexandra Van Steen and Frankie McCullough. And I will have a link in the show notes in case you have trouble finding it because some of these books are a little bit tricky to find on Amazon. A place to visit. So you're looking for a place to visit and you're kind of wandering around aimlessly and you think, hey, I would like to visit the center of the United States. Well, good news for you. You can do that. And well, you can actually do it more than once because it turns out that that place is pretty controversial. Where exactly is the center of the United States? Well, it depends on what you're measuring. Now, there is a center of the contiguous United States, that is the lower 48, as they're called, 
And that is, well, it's a little bit northwest of Lebanon, Kansas, about 12 miles from the Kansas-Nebraska border. And you can go there, and there's a sign, and, well, it's the border of Kansas and Nebraska. So I, I kind of think you know what you're going to find there. <laughs> and But, you know, it's a, it's a fun place to visit and a little thing you can check off, and, you know, there's a little picnic area there, so there's that. But there may be better examples. There's also... Belforge, South Dakota, which is one that I've been to. It's remarkably near Devil's Tower in Wyoming. It's right on the border. And it is the geographic center of the United States if you include Alaska and Hawaii. So everywhere that's a state, this would be included. Now, if you include all the U.S. territories, you end up someplace that's not even in the continent of North America. (laughs) So that's a whole separate thing. That's going to be a little bit harder to get to. But there's also another one, which is the center of population in the United States. And that is in, can you guess? It's actually in southwestern Indiana, right on the Illinois border, not far from Kentucky. That's the center of population. And what that means is that an equal number of people live north of there, south of there, east of there, and west of there. And if you look at the map, that's actually kind of striking because there's a whole lot more land to the west than there is to the east, and there's more land to the south than there is to the north, pointing out that Most people in the U.S. actually do live in the Northeast, although there's certainly plenty of people living in other places. Anyway, if you're the kind of person that likes to check things off that you have visited, the center of the United States, however you define it, is one. And I'll have a link in the show notes to get you started. Resource Recommendation I love this thing, and I think I've mentioned it before, but I'm going to mention it again. There is an app. It's an app called Alfred. And this thing takes your old cell phones and turns them into security cameras. And uh, as I've mentioned 8,000 times, we have a piece of land on the river in Illinois. And, well, I'm not always there, but I'd like to see what's going on. So now that I've installed Wi-Fi there, I have cameras set up and I can basically see everything. And mostly, mostly, honestly, it's to watch wildlife. But... You know, ring cameras are expensive. Uh, That's what I'd been using. They're like 200 bucks, depending on which one you get. And they're very nice. But I've also got a box of old cell phones that I'm not doing anything with. Well, this Alfred app lets me install Alfred on those phones, point them somewhere, and they work pretty much like a ring camera or any other kind of camera. They use the phone's camera and will detect motion and then send you a notification saying, hey, I saw something down here. And then you can tap on the app and see what it saw. You can also look live anytime you want. Like, you know, I wonder how the weather is down by the river. So I'll tap in and look at my phone. And it works on just about any old phone. I currently have an iPhone 4, a really cheap Android pay-as-you-go phone, and an iPhone 6S set up down there now. And of course, the 6S has the best camera of those, but they all work just fine. I can see what's going on. I mean, folks, there aren't too many uses for an iPhone 4 these days. Uh, Apple's given up on support for them, but the Alfred app will still let you use it as a camera. (laughs) Now, a couple of caveats. You do need to have some sort of Wi-Fi access to send these images up. So you have to have a hotspot or some other type of internet. You can actually get phone plans for them. My pay-as-you-go Android, I do have a phone plan on and it can use that to send the images also these cameras do not have night vision so while a ring cam or whatever has infrared cameras in it and lets you see at night none of these will but hey 
this is basically free. Alfred does have a paid plan that lets you store things and stuff, and I subscribe to it because it's worth it for me. But imagine this scenario. You are spending the night in your van somewhere and you're feeling a little sketchy and you want some security. Now, you can install cameras all around your van and look out, but wouldn't better security be having a camera looking at your van? Well, enter your old iPhone 4. Hide it somewhere in a bush or under a trash can or whatever where it can see your van and still get Wi-Fi from your van and you've got a security camera watching your van. Obviously, you have to remember to <laughs> bring it with you and find my iPhone. We'll do that for you if you're an iPhone person. But it's actually a really good solution for security for basically free. Again, any Android or iPhone with a camera can work with Alfred. So I'll have a link in the show notes for Alfred. This is not sponsored in any way, despite my gushing over it. I just really like this thing. I have an old phone that I call the Rover that, for example, if the birds are doing something interesting on my balcony, I'll just stick the phone out there and then it's like my little bird cam. And again, it's free and it recycles old phones that aren't doing anything else otherwise. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 155. As always, music is by Simon Wagg. I would like you to do me a favor. If you like the interview episodes, please let me know. Drop me a line at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. If you guys like those, I will try to do more. If you don't like them, well, I'll keep doing them as bonus episodes, and you can ignore them if you want. And until next time, remember the words of John Updike. There's always something new by looking at the same thing over and over. <laughs>